Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dicer. If you please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a five-star review if you love this podcast. It does help with the rankings on all the podcasting platforms that you love to listen to this on. Plus, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Get our lovely video interviews as well. But this week, I have Evan Hamilton with me, and he has built powerful customers experience, like something we really need right now, because customer service seems to have taken a little bit of a hit during the pandemic. But he's done that for decades with SAAS companies, EdTech, e-commerce, and more. He has a focus on melding empathy with business savvy and reducing support response times without creating terrible experiences. Amen to that one. Welcome to the show, Evan. Thanks so much for having me. And the first question I ask all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Mm, I am a, a chai drinker. I'm, I'm a snob about chai, so I've got mine right here. Like, is there like a specific one that you is your go-to for chai? There's a, a place in San Francisco called the Chai Cart, uh, which w- was an actual cart. I think the cart has been closed for a little bit, but you can you can order the the leaves uh, and then the spices online and hopefully the cart will open back up eventually. It, it should. I mean, aren't they getting rid of most of the extri- restrictions right now? I mean, Southern California yeah. may be a little bit yeah, different, but, <laughs> but I gave a brief summary of your expertise. Can you give our audience a little bit more about your expertise? Yeah, I've been uh, in tech for uh, over a decade. Um, you know, as mentioned, working across all different sorts of startups, all stages. I've been a, you know, a, a three-person company, and uh, I'm at Reddit right now, which is about fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred, and you know, really focused on how do you improve the customer experience in a way that provides benefits for your company. Um, you know, there is a whole range of touch points that your customers have with you. And, you know, the only way to succeed really is to make sure all of those are high quality and to think about that customer's holistic experience, um, not just, you know, one little area, you know, right when they work with a salesperson or right when they interact with a customer service team. And so I've worked at um, User Voice, uh, CMX, which is uh, the industry, uh, you know, standard for community professionals, Coursera, um, Zozi and spent the last five years here at Reddit. All right. And I mean, customer experience seems to be a big thing right now, especially with labor shortages. Also the great, I guess, talent movement. I mean, they call it the great resignation, but is, it kind of is up in the air if it actually is that or not, but how do right. companies invest in good customer experience when there's all these different types of exterior, I guess, motives or things happening that makes it more difficult that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, no one's ever going to have a perfect customer experience. You, you can't control every factor. I think something to keep in mind is that studies have shown that people remember the peaks and they remember the valleys. And I think too often companies try and focus on, hey, we just need the, the experience to be consistent. Uh, and really, you know, there's going to be inconsistencies, but as long as the peaks are higher than the valleys and the valleys are few and far between, I think you can create a very special experience for people. 
So, you know, where a brand should start is really just a foundation of really great support. You need to have a team that's fast. You need to have a team that's high quality and a team that's empowered to do the right thing. You know, we've all been in a situation where we're like, listen, <laughs> brand, I know you're in the wrong. Just make it right for me. And you can tell the person on the other end wants to, but can't. And so just empowering people to do that is a huge part of it. And then the, the next aspect is really, as I mentioned a moment ago, looking at the whole customer journey, because I think brands too often just look at one point or two points, but every interaction the customer has with your brand is important. And you know, a classic example of this is billing. Maybe your customer service team is fantastic, but the billing team, man, they are real, <laughs> just like, give us our money now. We don't care. We don't have any flexibility because that's what you know they're being measured on. And so then the customer has this deep, deep valley of an experience with the billing team. And no matter how hard your customer service team tries to make them feel special or you invite them to a community or your customer success manager reaches out to them, they're still going to remember that really, really negative experience they had. So I think, you know, the important thing here for brands to do is to really examine that that entirety of the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we all had, even the PR pros have had terrible customer experience and great customer experience all at the same time. So is there a point where brands can overinvest in this, like be, maybe do too much where it's like, okay, well, let's, let's calm it down a little bit. Like, how is that right balancing act? Because it does seem like a balancing act. Like you don't want to do too little, but you don't want to overdo it at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think, I, I don't want to be one of those professionals that talks about like, do anything you can for your customer, right? There, there's only so much you can do as a business. You're not going to buy them a yacht because they had a bad experience. That's not going to work for the bottom line. But I think where I see brands overinvest is actually just in trying to solve the problem with one solution. And you kind of see these cycles in the tech industry where customer success was the next hot thing and now it's community. And I think those are both amazing disciplines and I've spent a lot of time working on both of them. But they can't live alone. Again, if you have that horrible experience with a billing team, it doesn't matter if you're in a great community. And so I, I think, you know, what brands need to do is make sure they are looking at the area that is performing the worst and putting resources towards it. Part of that involves making sure a successful team knows that headcount isn't a reward and saying, great, you're doing so good. Now we're going to go invest in this team because they're struggling. And just constantly trying to, you know, tweak the dials and knobs to make sure that, every moment is solid and that you then you can put the extra you know uh, funds into a really peak experience with community or customer success um, but you you really have to be examining each of those points and i think one of the the biggest areas to examine is onboarding because that you know that is their first experience with your company if they have a bad experience there that is setting the tone for the rest of their experiences and i see a lot of companies trying to resurrect you know failed customers who had a bad onboarding experience and they're putting all this money into resurrecting them when really they should have been holding their hand and, and making sure they had a great experience coming in. Yeah. I, I mean, it's important now because of post or even now COVID, but post COVID because everybody's online. And so that onboarding process, I feel like if there's too many clicks that I have to do, then it's terrible because I have to figure out where I'm going. And if I lose my step, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Like, and that the frustrates people because it's like, I'm wasting my time to figure out your systems. So how can PR people manage that with like good customer experience? Because it's, a lot of times it's on them to do the best they can with that. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think everything starts with talking to your customers. So talk to them and understand at what points were you confused or frustrated? 
you know, fix the ones you can, but sometimes there's things that you can't fix. You can't get the product team to do it, or it's just always going to be complex. And then you think about how can I build support systems in there? Can I either advise them to connect to a customer success agent there? Can I create a community so that when they're in that really tough phase trying to figure things out, they have other people going through the exact same thing who they can bounce ideas off of and check in with? Um, so really just you know identifying those weak points and then finding ways to bolster them. We've heard about Web 3.0. I'm pretty sure you've heard about Web 3.0. How does customer experience like fit into that? Because we're talking about communities, we're talking about NFTs, but I've never really heard about the customer experience. And I feel like that could be really be useful for Web 3.0 of like building in without the, with the community as Reddit is basically the biggest forum in the world. Yeah. I mean, I think Web 3 has a huge gap here. Um, for all the talk about community, you know, it is very difficult to actually conduct a transaction. You know, you have to get a wallet, you have to set it up, you have to deal with gas fees, like you have to do all these things that are going to scare most regular consumers away. And it doesn't seem like anyone's super focused on that. And additionally, you know, there's a lot of talk of community in Web3, but I actually think most of the communities in Web3 are actually a bit more like fandoms. Uh, there are people getting together to get hyped up and get excited. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that often they can do that to the exclusion of new folks. And they can be like, if you don't believe, then get out. And that's not a great way to onboard people. So, you know, I think the Web3 companies that will succeed will be the ones that actually make those initial processes easier and then have a welcoming way to join the community instead of this sense of, you know, you're in the out group and we don't want you in. And so could like Web3 and Web2 be like working with each other? Web3 is about your early adapters and then Web2.0 for now is about your regular audience that doesn't really have the time invested to be a super fan or early adapter to it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of energy going into the kind of technical and the marketing aspects of Web3. Uh, but, you know, there's no need to reinvent every wheel. And so, you know, Web3 would benefit from bringing in folks from, you know, Web2 that have experience with, you know, creating these these wonderful, you know, user experiences because uh, there's plenty of tried and true methods that can apply here. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is required for an investment to build like that strong community? Because I think that's going to help with the customer experience as well as the community behind it, because maybe you can't answer the question, but your community can answer the question for them. So how, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, when I think about the, the business value of community, it's really about scale. And it's either about you know, actual scale of volume or scale of opinion. Um, so scale of volume is, hey, you know, Google has millions of customers. Some of them are going to have unique issues. But if you put them in a space together, they can probably answer a lot of each other's questions because there's enough of them that they're able to say, oh, yeah, I also have this one weird edge case. And then, uh, you know, scale and diversity of uh, opinion is really useful because you as a company can't know absolutely everything about the space you're in. And so, you know, if you're in the beer brewing industry, you know, you're going to have a lot of internal expertise, but you probably haven't brewed every single type of beer in the world. And so a community can bring in those perspectives from others and allow you to be the host for those perspectives. In order to do that, you know, I think you, you mentioned investment. And the, the first thing is hiring both strategists and on the ground folks. I can't tell you how many companies I see who are trying to hire someone who is both setting this grand strategy for community and also they're posting in the forums every day and they're managing all the channels and they're doing every last thing. 
Um, you wouldn't expect that of a PR team, you know, to have somebody who is setting a PR strategy and also handling every single call, um, you know, maybe at a very early stage startup, but generally you have a team so that you can handle, you know, that, that volume and variety of work. So start with hiring, you know, strategists and having them build at least a small team under them who can be engaging with the community every day. The second part is, uh, you know, sharing more openly and frequently than you're probably used to with your community. You know, in order to build that sense of connection, there has to be trust and they have to know that you are actually engaging with them, you know, legitimately. And frankly, people don't trust brands a whole lot. They have, you know, a lot of experiences of brands uh, not being uh, totally forthright and honest and, and open with them. And so, to make a community succeed, you really have to lean into how can I share almost everything? How can I involve my community at these really early stages? Um, and that's a lot of what we've done at Reddit. You know, Redditors have a very strong sense of ownership in our community, which is amazing. and means they do amazing things, creating communities and hosting events and moderating. But they feel like they deserve and they do deserve a seat at the table. And so they want to have roughly the same level of insight that other teams at the company do. And we've slowly moved more and more that way. And we've seen very few negative side effects. The positive side effects are they trust us more, they have more context into the decisions we're making, and they feel like they're part of the team. Gotcha. And so does that kind of go into like transparency, being more transparent, which is, I guess is some ways part of Web3, where we went back to a little bit more about transparency. So are we seeing more of that aspect having positive side effects like you and should we draw a line of how much should a community know to how much should we hold back? Maybe it's just a little bit, but where's that line? Yeah. I mean, at Reddit, we have a value, which is default open. And I think that is a a good way to approach it, which is we should default to open. And then there will be some situations where, Hey, this is you know private information that would be damaging to let out. This would be financial information that we, you know, we legally can't provide uh, or personnel information that wouldn't be appropriate to share. Certainly there are lines, but I think if you switch from default closed and like, Hey, what can we release to let's share everything we can. And then occasionally we'll run into a red line. Uh, I think that, helps because then you're not constantly trying to find the things to share. You're just defaulting to share it. Um, And, you know, I think part of this also is inviting your customers in at an early stage because, uh, you know, what I see a lot of companies doing is they have these conversations, you know, internally, they wrap their heads around an idea and then they throw it out into their community. And the community is like, what is this? We don't understand how you got here. We don't understand why you're doing this. I mean, you only need to look as far as, gaming companies announcing that they're going to support NFTs and to see a lot of audience anger where they haven't brought their community on along for the ride. And so whether that's via advisory councils, whether that's via public posts, um, you know, you have an opportunity to make your community feel like, okay, I, I'm, I've actually been part of this journey. And so I'm more invested. Gotcha. I mean, that is an interesting thing about game companies and NFTs, because I feel like Ubisoft has been the worst about explaining about why it's good. And instead they kind of berate their own audience saying that you don't understand this, which yeah. <laughs> how do you yeah. avoid that? Because that seems to be like a PR nightmare where you're like, why am I insulting my own audience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I I think it's about bringing them along for the ride, right? Because internally you would never go to the CEO and say, we're doing NFTs 
boom, done. And the CEO would never say to the company, we're doing NFTs, boom, done, right? It's an internal conversation. Okay, what is this going to mean for our various teams? You know, how much profit is this going to make, et cetera? And so it's not surprising that if it takes lots of conversations internally to come to a decision, it should take conversations externally as well. Um, rarely are any of us good enough at communicating that in one blast we can help our audience understand everything about what we're intending. Um, you know, maybe some of the best you know pros listening to your podcast can, but it's really hard to do. If you bring folks in early and you say, hey, if we're talking about NFTs, we are looking at this space because everybody's looking at this space. Um, we see that there's a lot of money to be had. I think you should be open and honest about that because people can see through and, and, and know that that's the fact. Uh, we want to figure out if there's something there, but we don't want to do it in a way that ruins your experience. So let's just start talking about it. It takes it from a polarized, you know, yes versus no to a let's go on this journey together. Let's figure out what the path is. And the path might lead to no, it might lead to yes, it might lead to a different version of yes, but it's starting things off in that very, you know, engaging, uh, you know, truthful contextual tone. You know, the most downvoted comment of all time on Reddit was uh, from uh, a gaming company uh, that I will leave unnamed talking about a certain Star Wars game. And people were complaining about uh, you know, the, the expense to get one of the characters. And they said, well, we just wanted to give you a sense of pride and accomplishment. And the problem is that's not true. That's not why they did it. Um, there's plenty of ways to give pride and accomplishment that don't involve <laughs> gouging people. Uh, but you know, it, it was a lack of respect for their audience. And if they had said, hey, you know, we have to make money too. We have numbers to hit. Oh, it wouldn't have been popular, but I don't think it would have been the most downvoted comment of all time. If they had involved the community at an early stage and said, listen, like, here's some of the things we're thinking about doing, uh, maybe the community would have given them alternative ideas. Maybe the community would have understood, oh, okay, the trade-off is like this or like in-game ads or like this, or you increase the price of the game. Okay, actually, we think that's a good trade-off. Um, so just respecting your audience, just like you would respect your internal team, I think is the key. Gotcha. And then even moving with how do PR pros build like effective consumer advisory boards? And if people, for people that don't know, what are consumer advisory boards too? Yeah. So they take different forms, but generally the way you know we've approached advisory boards is we want our customers to have a, a say in the conversation. We also know that to your point earlier about you know, things that are sensitive, we don't always want to go out and shout from the rooftops, hey, we're thinking about this idea because it may be half-baked, it may not happen. We don't want to you know, send people into chaos, freaking out about something. And so what we've done is you know, select a group of representative customers. We cycle through them. It's not always the same group of people who are under NDA. And we come to them and we say, hey, here's something we're thinking about. Here's something we're working on. Give us feedback before we've even committed any code or even written anything down. And that gives us great feedback. It helps them feel involved. And then when we eventually go and launch that thing, we can say, hey, we did this with you. you know, we, we didn't have every single customer in the room because we got a lot of customers, but we had a representative sample of you in the room. Here's what they said, and here's how we acted on that feedback. So if you're interested in doing that, you know, the first step is, again, invest in it. It's not something that you can just like throw together and then never attend. Um, you have to really go and share and spend the time with that group. I highly recommend choosing constructive critics. 
if you go too far in one direction or the other, you get in trouble. If you're bringing in people who are just going to agree with you, then they're not representative. If you bring in people who just hate you, <laughs> it's not going to be a great conversation. So we really looked for people who had criticized us publicly, fairly about things that were problematic, and then had a conversation with us publicly that had been constructive. And we said, great, you're the type of person we want in this room. You also want to make sure it's a diverse group. You want to make sure you're not just bringing in a bunch of people who look the same. And then you really have to build the, the goals and the vibe of the group and make sure they really understand why they're there. Your staff members understand what you're doing there and that everyone understands how to act. Because um, with any community, it can be very easy for people to not know how they're supposed to act. And then they just take cues off of each other. And so making sure you're rewarding people for giving critical feedback and you're calling people out if they are you know, doing ad hominem attacks or just saying change sucks. I hate this. Um, you know, you, you want to create a space where people feel comfortable sharing, but also know that they have to bring a high quality contribution. And I think this is where a customer advisory board, you know, is is elevated from something like getting feedback on Twitter, because that's still valuable to see what people have to say, but it's often kind of off the cuff, not very well thought out, you know, angry or excited feedback. And so this is a place where you can have those really subtle conversations. And then once you've had them, you really think about how you amplify the fact that you have had them. So make sure you're sharing with the community at large, hey, this is how we involved a group of you in this conversation. Here's things they said. Um, and, and here's you know how we act in your feedback. Gotcha. So basically it's kind of like representatives for different types of groups of people that kind of give you their guidance on how the product should be better in some ways. Is that kind of what it, it is? Yeah. Yeah. It can be product. It can be policies, um, you know, whatever you want to talk about. Gotcha. And I mean, let's say, because cancel culture is a thing and businesses have to be worried about it. How do you manage that with customer experience? Because sometimes it seems like a customer has a bad experience and they want to cancel you because they had a bad experience. So how do you manage all that stuff with making sure that you're doing the right thing and not hurting a customer inadvertently in that type of way where they feel like there's a need to go after the company itself? Yeah. I mean, I think if someone's going after you, it's because something is going on with them. You know, they, they feel they've been wronged and they feel like they are owed something. And, you know, you, you want to make sure that generally you're respecting and taking care of your customers. Uh, but also there's only so much you can do again. I mean, you could buy that customer a yacht, but then every customer is going to want a yacht and then you're out of money. So, you know, you, 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 you need to figure out what is the balanced approach. Um, the biggest thing I've found is just listening to them. Usually they feel like someone didn't listen to me. I told the customer service rep and they dismissed me. I spoke to the manager and they dismissed me or they implied that it was my fault. And sometimes they need to tell you multiple times, you know, so um, don't get on a conversation, listen to them complain and say, okay, okay, let's clear this up. Make sure they really feel like you've heard them repeat it back to them. If they need to let it out again, (laughs) like that's okay. And then, you know, figure out what the equitable thing to do is. And sometimes that's not going to be the thing they want, right? Um, when we did a redesign, you know, several years ago, there were people asking us to totally scrap it. We were obviously not going to do that. We had put a ton of work into it. And, you know, although it had flaws, it largely was beneficial. And so for those people, we said, well, let us know if you want to have a more subtle conversation. But again, we're going to go work with these people who are constructively 
critical of us. And with them, we were able to figure out, okay, what are the things that really aren't working for you and how can we address them? And I think if you've built an advisory council, you've built a community, you get these additional benefits in a, a crisis like that. First of all, you know, you, you have people who are in your corner who feel like you've been there for them. Second of all, you have that space designed for subtle discussion. It's really easy when there's a crisis for things, again, to get very black and white. And for the customers to be saying, you have to do this very dramatic thing that they may overly simplify and you saying, hey, it's more complicated and <laughs> they don't really believe you. And so if you already have a space like an advisory council where you can have subtle conversations, then you can say, let's go in there. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's dig into the details and make sure we're on the same page. And then lastly, you know, we talked about transparency. If you've established that record of being transparent, people are more likely to believe you, right? They're going to look back and say, well, okay, they were pretty truthful about the last few things. If you're known for not being very transparent or for saying one thing and then walking it back, then they're less likely to believe what you're saying, and it's going to be a, a harder hill for you to climb. So community really is an investment in that long-term return because you know there's only so much you can do in the moment if you don't have that foundation. Gotcha. And then for the customer experience, are AI tools actually really good? Because I know for a while that was the big thing, like AI tools to help you guide your customer through it. And I've had someone where I'm like, this doesn't help me at all. This kind of gives me way too broad answers where it helps me none. So are we going to see more of that or should you rely more on the human experience instead of the AI experience? The way I generally approach it is, you know, tech and tools should be used to get customers answers faster, which is beneficial for them and for the company. If it's not helping them get there faster, or if it's not getting them there at all, then you shouldn't use them. And I'm sure we'll see them continue to get better, but a lot of these, you know, AI or automated tools are very good for simple common issues, right? If it's like, how do I reset my modem? Great. You unplug it and plug it back in. That's something that there's no need for you to talk to a human. Um, that's a waste of your time waiting for the human. And it's a waste of the company's resources to answer that same question. So great. Automation is great there. But when it comes as a barrier where you're like, I know I have a more complex issue and I don't want to talk to someone, or I'm sorry, I don't want to talk to a robot. Um, that's a problem. You know, so the other day I, I had an issue where my internet speed test was fine, but Zoom was saying I had a bad connection. And so, you know, it's not about resetting the modem. I, I know the internet speeds are high. It's something more complex. And I wanted to just get past the robot. And in my opinion, you should always offer that option. It should not be buried. Yes, some people will abuse it, but most people won't. And again, sometimes people are just in that state where they're like, I know I need a human, or I feel very strongly I do. And putting a robot in their way, then just, it, it starts them off on that wrong foot. So again, you know, robots should be helpers, but they shouldn't be you know, barriers. Gotcha. And then fun question for you. What's some of your favorite comics? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big comic book geek. Uh, it's very hard to choose my favorite, but... I would say right now uh, I would recommend uh, Matt Fraction's run on Hawkeye, which I think largely inspired the uh, the Marvel uh, series on Disney+. Plus. Um, if you want kind of a slice of life comic, there's a comic called Giant Days, which is about um, a, a group of uh, college students, which is very sweet. Um, and then if you're into Star Wars, um, check out Saga, which is just epic space opera. All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners? You know, I, my final thought is I, I hope to see more companies investing in, you know, VPs of customer experience in chief customer officers. 
I think, you know, these titles get thrown around a lot and sometimes it's just people fishing for a promotion. But what I found time and time again is that we are investing too much in these single points to try and solve the customer's issues. And where companies succeed is when they're looking at, again, every stage of that journey and saying, what is it like from the moment they start interacting with our company to even the moment they cancel? How can we make that positive so they don't go off and tell everyone how hard the cancellation process was? And so, um, you know, if, if you're listening and you're thinking about how to approach this stuff, empower someone to really own the customer experience, because uh, if nobody owns it, then, you know, it's always uh, an afterthought. All right. Thank you, Evan, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge on the customer experience. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a five-star review if you enjoyed it. And always subscribe to the YouTube page as well for these video interviews. All right, guys, join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the peer industry and get to know your customer onboarding experience and try to make your customer experience even better. All right, guys, see you next week. Later.